Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and we're in the midst of season 20 of our podcast, and we're looking at the topic of transforming worship. And uh, Rory Nolan is with me. He's the author of the book, Transforming Worship, and we've already had a first conversation together. And today, we're going to start adding guests, and our special guest today is Aaron Nequist. Uh, Aaron is a liturgist and a writer and a pastor who recently graduated from General Theological Seminary in New York City. He has led worship at Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and also Willow Creek Church in Barrington, Illinois. He has created a new liturgy, a collection of modern liturgical worship recordings, um, and he has also been involved with spearheading the practice at Willow Creek, as well as releasing a book called The Eternal Current how a practice-based faith can save us from drowning. He continues to create resources to help flesh that out. He is currently at St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Chelsea, and he serves alongside one of our TC alums. And so we're just thrilled with the way that God continues to cultivate our relationships here in the Transforming Center. He leads pastors, priests, and guides retreats around the country. And he and I just had the privilege of serving in one of those together, which was really, really thrilling to see what's going on there. And of course, the best part of his life is his life with his wife, Shauna, and their sons, Henry and William. So welcome, Aaron. We are so glad to have you a part of the conversation. Uh, Me too. Really glad to jump in with you both. Oh, thank you. So in terms of our connections within the Transforming Center, I mean, Aaron was on staff at that tiny little church in South Barrington, Illinois, when Rory and I were there. But Aaron and I, our paths didn't cross there, did they, Aaron? Even though we were there at the same time, our paths never crossed there. Right. They right. didn't, at that time, they didn't let me out of the basement. So <laughs> that's right. That whole area <laughs> yep. was like a mystery yep. to me. Those of yep. us who were upstairs, that's right. We didn't even know what went on down there in the basement. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> And then you and Rory go way back. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. And then we can talk about how you uh, came into the Transforming Center. Why don't you guys talk a little yeah. bit about your connection? Well, can I tell, start the story, Rory? Mm-hmm. And then you can. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So I, uh, I graduated from college and got a job at Willow Creek in high school ministry. And I had been there, you know, my first job, I'd been there like 10 minutes and the whole ministry imploded. Oh. <laughs> um, it was actually six months, but six months in, the elders removed the top three leaders from the ministry. Mm. So it wasn't scandal. It was more relational breakdown. Okay. So I am, what, 21 or something, <laughs> first church job, and I'm like, what are we doing? And someone said, have you talked to Rory Nolan? And <laughs> I had known about Rory. He's like a legend mm. in, in the music church music world. And so I asked if we could just get a little bit of time. And we started meeting every week for an hour. Mm. And I've said very sincerely, mm. I'm not sure I could have made it through that disillusioning, weird season without him. And had I bailed at that point, I mean, I might not be in ministry right now. So mm-hmm. I am deeply grateful. He's also the one that when we were starting the practice, he said, well, who's leading you in practices? And I'm like, well, I I don't know. And he goes, you have to be led in the things that you're leading. And I think you should join a transforming center community. So he's also the one that encouraged me to jump into TC. So Mm, it's very grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it was really cool how God brought us together, Aaron. And uh, we were together in the basement. We worked at our offices. We're pretty close (laughs) to each other down there in the basement. I just remember him just starting on staff and 
you know, seeing him walking by him in the hallway going, oh, he does not look good. I just re- remember at one, one point just stopping him saying, are you okay? You know, and uh, I just had, you know, because of everything that was going on. But uh, yeah, we had some excellent talks and it was the beginning of a, of a really mm. good relationship. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, I really thank God for Aaron. Yeah. You know, one of the things that strikes me when God gives a young person that kind of uh, traumatic experience, it's hard and there's no question about it. But then I also wonder, why is God entrusting this experience to this young leader right now? What is God doing in that young leader's life by entrusting them with such a difficult experience so early in their vocational life? And so, Aaron, I have no doubt that as hard as that was, God was investing even that in you at that time. So it's it's interesting what kinds of experiences God gives each of us and entrusts to us to shape us mm. early on in our life in ministry. So as much as I know it was difficult, I'm not sorry about it because I think it's probably made you who you are. <laughs> yeah. And then Aaron and I, we have a couple of interesting connections. First of all, you you were in TC9, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he would come and we have, I've, I've already mentioned this practice that we have of lead, leaving leaders alone, that when <laughs> we have uh, especially higher profile leaders in our communities, we just leave them alone and let them have their experience with God. It's, we give them their privacy, which is really, really important. And so Aaron would come in and he would sit in the back and he would have a baseball hat down over his eyes. So I could never see what was happening on his face. <laughs> I had no idea whether he was enjoying it or benefiting from it or anything like that. But we left him alone, and clearly God has caused something really good to come out yeah. of that initial. It was a great, it was a great, great experience. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> meaningful and helpful. Yeah. yeah. So it's been really fun to see what's emerged since then. The other thing that we have in common, which is really an interesting connection, is that we're both, we were both raised Plymouth Brethren, which in the context of this conversation on transforming worship is a really interesting connection because yeah. in the Plymouth Brethren, if our listeners are not familiar, it was the most stripped down worship experience you could imagine. In fact, you know, I'm a little older than you, Aaron, and in the, in the Plymouth Brethren churches I was a part of, there was a real debate as to whether or not we would use a piano. And it was called the Wooden Brother. They called, they <laughs> called the piano the Wooden Brother. And there was even debate about whether or not it was appropriate to use a piano, wow. <laughs> yep. let alone everything else. So who knows if we'll yep. touch on that in this conversation. And, and then, of course, the other really gorgeous connection is that when Rory was moving to Alabama, and also feeling that it was time for him to let go of being our primary worship leader. Obviously, I said, well, who would you recommend to take over and who would you um, who would you think would be good to, to move into this spot? And Aaron, you were the top choice. And so by God's grace, you were able to run for a little while, you and Rory holding the baton together. And now you've been our worship yeah. leader for five or six years. And yeah. what a wonderful partnership we've had. And you've brought your own passions and experiences to our worship experience in the Transforming Center. And it's been a tremendous gift. So mm. it has been to me too. Yeah. So what a, we've got a bunch of stuff going on here relationally and shared experience. And so it makes me even more excited about this conversation that we're going to have together. I wanted to start with something that Rory says in his book that I would love us all to interact about. And in very, very early in Rory's book, Transforming Worship, 
he talks about a sense of urgency around the need for church services to be more spiritually substantive. So the worship service itself needing to be more spiritually substantive. And I wanted him to talk about what he means by that and then why it feels so urgent today. And then for the three of us to talk and especially, you know, Aaron, even from your perspective and point of view, you're, you're leading worship now in an Episcopal church regularly. And I would imagine that you probably have your own sense of urgency around what you're bringing to worship these days. And so I, I thought mm-hmm. the phrase spiritually substantive was really important, Rory. And I also think that your sense of urgency is something we need to pay attention to as someone who's just been at this for so long. Would you start that part of the conversation and then sure. we'll uh, have Aaron respond? Sure. I think there's a sense of urgency, especially for those of us leading worship these days, because we see what's going on. I think what we're seeing is kind of the devastating results when you don't make spiritual formation a priority in the service or in the church, uh, period. And uh, we're seeing a lot of nominal Christianity. And, uh, you know, even people looking back, your writers looking back and saying, Joe, maybe we did a good job of a decent job of, of evangelizing, but we did a horrible job at edifying people, discipling them and preparing them for life in, you know, in this, in the real world. And so I think that's where a lot of it is coming from is that you just feel like, I mean, I felt myself, uh, that's why I sought something outside my church experience because what I was getting at church was not filling me. It was not transforming me. It was not even not impacting me at all. And that's when I started looking at something outside my church experience. And it was a, a retreat ministry that some other ministry was, was doing. And I was ready to fly to, I think, San Antonio uh, every quarter for a two-year experience. And that's when I called you, Ruth, and you said, well, we're doing something just like that. I said, I'm in. I, that's all I need to know. I'm in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, th- and that's actually what I was looking for. Aaron, how would you respond to that? And are you sensing that kind of urgency as well in your own setting? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people I know are giving up or have given up on the church. Mm-hmm. And it's almost never about God. Hmm. It's about why would I drive or ride the subway for 45 minutes to go sit there and listen to some professionals do a thing for us. Like, I I just, I don't understand why that would be meaningful. Mm. And it's fascinating. A lot of my peers, like generation, were angry. It was angsty, you know, Gen X. And as I talk to people younger than me, they're not angry. They just don't think it would be helpful in almost any way. Mm. So in terms of uh, more substantive, that resonates with me so deeply, like uh, in evangelical spaces, which I've done most of my worship leading, to like kind of following Rory's lead, trying to bring some depth. And so, you know, like at Willow Creek, you know, 10 years ago or so, we were trying to bring back the hymns that they had... um, Mm -hmm. Like I think very intentionally gotten rid of. And so, you know, it would bring, it would almost like bringing some, some meat or a, a little more something to really chew on during these worship mm-hmm. sets that were very emotive. Mm-hmm. Now, what's fascinating is now I'm a part of uh, the Episcopal Church. I'm not Episcopalian, but I love this community and get to lead the music every Sunday. But I'm finding that if I bring a meaty hymn 
into the already very wordy and meaty liturgy, it's just overwhelming. It doesn't mm-hmm. help. Mm. So what, this is so fascinating. What I'm trying to bring at St. Peter's are simple refrains that help us almost like chew on what we just prayed together through the liturgy. Does that make sense? So the, it's the exact opposite work trying to get to a very similar place, which I think is some combination of depth and connection, heart and head, engaging deeply, but then opening up widely. Mm-hmm. So some, some sort of both and there. Yeah. And that resonates with, you know, the Teze type things that we've brought into the Transforming Center as well, these moments when we do something that's repetitive for the precise purpose that you just named, of yeah. allowing something to deepen, creating space yeah. for an encounter or for something to happen at the soul level versus at the head level. And sometimes yeah. even the repetitiveness of a simple chorus helps us to deepen down versus just stay up in our heads. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the big similarities we're finding is it's so easy to go into autopilot. Mm-hmm. It's easy in big mega church setting because it's this concert setting and you just find mm-hmm. yourself singing along and that's that's okay. But it's just as easy in the Episcopal church mm-hmm. to just go into, okay, we know here's the opening acclamation. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the... And so like sometimes I wonder if the primary, re, uh, the primary role of a worship leader in every context is to lovingly provoke... Um, the community out of autopilot. Mm-hmm. And so some a lot of times that's just pausing. At, at Willow, actually, I used to do that. We'd get done with a song and I'd say, you know, I'm going to play for like one minute and I don't know if there's something you want or need to say to God right now, but in your own words, silently. And we just try to create some space. I don't know. But we're trying to do similar things uh, at St. Peter's too. You know, hey, we're about to sing to uh, speak this confession. Mm-hmm. We've spoken this confession every Sunday <laughs> for the last many, many years, as we do, you know, try to offer some space and, and some framing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Aaron, is that how you would, um, like, I really love this phrase, spiritually substantive, and I think it's such an important phrase that I have wanted to d- define it. Yeah. So let's make sure we're being clear on what we mean when we say spiritually substantive. It sounds like for you, and, and I agree with you on this, that, that the substance has to do with an actual encounter, not substance in terms of theology to think about, but that substantive has to do with actually setting up an encounter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Is that, and how yeah. would you respond to that, Rory? When you say spiritually substantive, what do you mean? Well, you know, uh, Aaron uses the word meaty, and uh, <laughs> that's uh, another way to put it as well. You know, mm-hmm. people are looking for something substantial, and We've been guilty in the church of giving trivial, you know, platitudes, and they're looking, they're they're not dumb, and they're looking for something that is real, something that's authentic and and substantive, and uh, that has withstood the test of time, and that uh, meshes with reality, and their lived reality, and uh, I think that's what we mean by by substantive. Uh, It's it's meaty in that way. It 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 gives Mm -hmm. me something, but also demands that I give something. It's kind of where I, I like where Aaron was going by, by provoking, you know, it's, it, it demands something of me as well. And uh, yeah. I, I like that. I, I do, I'm not a spectator and I'm expected yes. to, to contribute. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's part of it. 
I really yeah. like that, that it demands something of me as well. And um, in our previous conversation, you know, we talked about the fact that um, many people come into church expecting the worship team to kind of make them feel something. <laughs> you know, and to make up for what hasn't been going on in their devotional life all week. You know, like I haven't been attentive to God all week. Now you fix that for me by giving me this emotional kind of frenzied experience of worship and demanding worship that demands something of me is so different than expecting the church to do it for me or the worship team to do it for me. And I, I think that is just a really significant characteristic of transforming worship is that it demands something of me. You know, I'm cultivating actively my own relationship with God, and that's what I'm bringing when I come to church. And that's why what's happening in the church resonates with me and ignites me is because I've already been active in my spiritual life all week. I remember my own, like, I, I do love the Anglican way of worshiping, and that's where I'm most comfortable these days. And one of the moments in that service that I love so much is the moment when the scriptures are read, because they read from the lectionary, and we follow a common lectionary. And so if I've been sitting in those scriptures and steeping in those scriptures all week, my favorite moment is when, I, is when we get to the part where the scriptures that I've been reading all week are now being read in the context of the congregation I'm a part of. And, and mm. I just can't wait. Like I'm on the edge of my seat wondering what God's going to say to me freshly through the scriptures that I've been in all week. So the, that's another place where the private and the corporate worship come together is I've been following the same lectionary with the community all week. I've been reading these scriptures, steeping in them. And then when I come to church, we're all sharing these same scriptures together. To me, that's a very communal way of experiencing scripture. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I just love that part. I love that about worshiping in the Anglican way, you know? Yeah. Uh, is the yeah, use of the common lectionary, you know, that way. Yeah. So can I say Please. one thing um, mm -hmm. about in COVID era? Mm -hmm. Remember that whole thing? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> in some ways, it feels like yesterday. In other ways, it feels like 30 mm -hmm. years ago. But a lot of us moved to digital churches mm -hmm. as we couldn't gather. And um, it was actually, for us personally, very meaningful, especially those first few weeks yeah. when we felt so isolated. But upon reflection, I remember there was a, a church that I really respect that they were doing uh, hosting watch parties where you could yeah. get together mm -hmm. with some people and, and watch the service. And I think um, one thing that hit me like a ton of bricks is how easily so much of our services could be translated to a watch mm -hmm. party. Mm. And it made me say, is what we're doing in person a watch party? Oh. Ooh. I mean, is there any difference going to an auditorium or a sanctuary and watching or sitting at home with your coffee and watching. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really made me, because I think digital has a place. I'm not an, anti it in every capacity, but, but it really has made me think a lot about why it was so easy to translate what we've been doing all along to a passive medium. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, yeah. I say amen and amen. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, we we could open it. You and I could probably talk about this for a long mm -hmm. time. Yeah, because <laughs> in many, we created a monster, you know. It's like, oh, uh, because now we're in many churches, uh, you know, people are not coming back. And um, I think it's because we have given them this perception that, yeah, worship is something you watch. And uh, it's not something you come and do together. So, yeah, I said, I preach a brother. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the other thing that was so interesting was that churches that were already high tech, they were actually able to very easily pivot and put it all online, whereas mm-hmm. ministries like ours that don't have any reliance on technology at all or churches that never went in that direction, the ones that didn't have the technology already set up couldn't you know, they either couldn't do it or they did it in ways that weren't quality enough for people to engage. So that it, there was a disparity there, too, that um, the churches that that had been using a lot of technology were able to make that transition mm-hmm. easier than ministries that weren't rooted yeah. in in using a lot of technology at a, at a very excellent level. So that would, and, and so the exhaustion levels for those who weren't accustomed to trying to make what they do available online w- was unbelievable. You know, um, so it was exhausting to everyone. But I think for those who weren't ready (laughs) to put things online, it was particularly exhausting because they were adding something that they had never done before, um, which was certainly the case for us. I love that question. Have we created the perception that worship is something to be watched? And did in taking things online, did we even perpetuate that misperception that worship is really something to be watched? Um, one of the things that I'm really fascinated with right now is the energetic, I'm doing some study on the energetic connection between humans when they're together in, in the room. I think that's a really important area of study for us and could contribute to this conversation as we try to describe and indicate why is watching online not the same thing as gathering. And, you know, Rory, you're using the word gathered worship a lot. Um, because even silence shared is different than silence experienced alone. And so, you know, we just recently did our retreat number two, which is on solitude and silence where we teach centering prayer and somebody, and that's where we shared 10 minutes of actual silence together, sitting in a sacred space, which is what we do regularly. We share silence together, sitting in a sacred space. And one woman said, you know, I've been practicing centering prayer by myself for years, but I have never experienced silence with others. That was powerful. And there's a lot of research now trying to describe this energy that that passes between humans when we're together, that doesn't pass the same way when we're online. And I'm, I'm very fascinated by this idea of what, of the energy, um, the energetic connection between humans and what it does for us and how good it is for us and how the experience is different when we're physically together and our energies are being shared versus not, you know? So it's a really important conversation. May your kingdom come in I knew the stresses had a chance to really derail me from my own spiritual life, but it was because of this community that I actually, I think I was able to stay on track with my spiritual life with the practices. So I would say it was animal, just And I felt that very profoundly. And I felt this space is a space where my soul, who I really am, my true self can come out and can be safe and can be received and can be nourished. So what's blown and my mind is that like the greatest way I can show up before God is as a human. And I feel like I've always tried to be like an angel disguised as a human, (laughs) you know, like the whole idea of desires was selfish and not Christian. And what I'm seeing now is that like, that's how I show up as my most authentic self. And it's how I relate to other humans. It's how I actually show God's greatness and glory to other people. And I guess when we are closing now, um, I'm thinking about, of course, the rule of life, what I'm going to do with this with this deep desire, how to arrange your life to keep the journey 
Well, we'd like to take a break for a moment from our conversation and invite you to consider Transforming Community 20, which is now on the books beginning in April. And if you've been sitting here listening to this conversation about transforming worship and thinking, wow, I would really like to experience some of what they're talking about, TC20 is for you. We really do experience these things regularly and routinely on our retreats and in our transforming community context. And we would love to have you. So if you're interested in transforming community 20, go to transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. When you apply, you can use podcast 20 as a code to take $50 off your application fee. So again, if you're interested in transforming community 20, you can go to transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. And now, back to our conversation. If you guys are ready to move on, I think this could be a place where we start to talk about the practices. What are the practices that actually make a service or a worship experience transformative? And as we enter into this, I wanted to mention that for this season, Rory's book is definitely slanted towards planning Sunday worship services. That's in his subtitle. And we have a lot of shared passion around seeing Sunday worship services being a formative and a transformative moment. But I also would love our conversations to be applicable to a variety of settings. So like I think about, you know, worship services in a camp environment or worship services in college. Our daughter's you know, went to Hope College where that worship service was renowned and uh, the students, nobody had to force them to come to the worship service. They all wanted to be there. A thousand kids up on their feet, uh, drawn to a worship experience or parachurch ministries like the Transforming Center, where we worship eight times a retreat and we do encounter God in those places. So um, even our private devotions or when friends and family gather for a meal, I would like the things that we talk about in this today, in this episode to be applicable to a variety of, of situations. And as, as we talk about practices, what are the practices that can be incorporated that transcend even, you know, the, the environment that you're in, but that we would consider to be transformational in a worship environment? And I would love for each of us to get a chance to say something about the practices that we believe are transformational in any sort of gathering that has to do with worship. Rory, do you want to start? Well, yeah, I present really f- the big five uh, as far as church goes. And I'm not sure if we want to drill down on any one of these, mm-hmm. but prayer, uh, scripture, confession, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And I don't know if there's any one of those you want to drill down on, or if there's uh, something even more narrower or specific that you wanted to address. So how, which, which way would you like to go on that? Why don't we, each of us put out the ones that we're thinking of, and then we can see, you know, what there is in that and and then drill down on those that um, we feel might warrant more attention in this conversation. So we've got Rory's top five. What about you, Aaron? What would you consider to be the formative disciplines that would characterize transforming worship? Um, can I read a short quote? Please. Mm-hmm. This is from Ian Cron, uh, Ian Morgan Cron. You're probably mm-hmm. familiar with his work and he's wonderful. Someone asked him, what's the role of a worship leader? And I, I think I shared this with you, Rory. Um, and he said to co-create the natural climate in which people are most apt to encounter or have a lived experience of Jesus through the power of the spirit. And he goes on, but it's that beginning part to co-create the natural climate in which people are most apt 
to bump into God, to bump into themselves, to bump into each other. And that has, that ignited something in me. Because, uh, you know, you were mentioning uh, before, Ruth, about this idea that the wor- it's the worship leader's job to do worship things for people. Well, that's not my um, perspective. That's what people expect. No, no, I just no, no, want no. to be careful. Yeah, I don't expect oh, that. No, 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 no. Yeah. You were critiquing mm-hmm. that, yeah. and you were right to. Mm-hmm. And just so you know, we were told to do that. <laughs> like yes. That's not, a, that's not a, an accidental thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we were told to help get people fired up in the first 20 minutes of the service. Yeah. But this idea that God is already working, it's our job to co-create a natural environment. And so that's when I think of your question. That's, okay, so what is the container that we can build? And I think for me, I, I keep getting drawn back to Ignatian spirituality. It has been so formative for me. And when I think about the examine, basically gratitude and then trying to reflect and notice God's fingerprints in our lives. Mm-hmm. So formative worship, anything that propels us towards gratitude to God for the goodness of the world and in our lives, Mm -hmm. and then anything that gives us eyes to notice, you know what, God's been working in me all week that way, or God's been doing this, and now I can join it. So That's good. Mm -hmm. I think I would drill down deep on prayer, on corporate prayer. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's because I've been in so many church services where the pastor prayed, maybe the worship leader prayed, and uh, at the end of it, we all said amen. But we, as the congregation, never really got to pray. I mean, hypothetically, we were supposed to nod in agreement, yes, and kind of go along. But, you know, I got to the point where I would hear a pastor say, let us pray, and I would just want to stand up and say, yeah, please let us pray. And uh, <laughs> I, I love that. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. We spent more time on the announcements than in prayer. And so mm-hmm. I've been a big advocate, especially in the book, because uh, it's uncanny when, when, when I, when I, uh, okay, I got a chapter on prayer. So what I did was I, mm-hmm. I read through the book of Acts and noticed every time that they prayed together, corporate prayer, gathered prayer. And it's uncanny. The word all just jumped out at me. It's like mm-hmm. they all prayed. It's like they all gathered. They all, you know, knelt down. And it's like, wow, it's like that word all kept jumping out. It's like Luke is trying to stress to us, this was a group thing. You, you don't get the impression that like one one person led and they all can say amen at the end. It's felt like a group effort. It's like all skate, you know, you're all in. And so that that's uh, that's one thing I uh, I really you know kind of advocating mm-hmm. these days is is that we give the congregation more opportunities to pray and uh, you know pray. I give some examples mm-hmm. yeah to actually pray I give some examples of how to do that in the book but uh, that that's kind of the you know the general heading there yeah can you give one one example here Rory well yeah I uh, in one setting that I was at. You know, it was kind of we were guilty of that that thing that I was just telling saying about, and so we got the idea because we, you know, we believe in scripture, right? So I got this idea. It's like, okay, how how about if we uh, take a scripture reading, and and I happened to choose one that was actually a prayer, 
and let's do it. Uh, I didn't use the word responsive or liturgical. I was trying to stay away from that word. Let's mm-hmm. just read it together. Worship leader reads this, yeah. and then we all we then we'll pray this, and then we'll we'll lead to a kind of go back and forth. And because I didn't want to use the word liturgy, but uh, sure enough, you know. And when we got to the end of it, it's like we prayed and said Amen. And it's like mm-hmm. reading prayers together from Scripture yeah. is a good place to start. Read, you know, taking prayers from the Book of Common Liturgy. Mm-hmm. But the other good thing is that the more non-musical elements we can put in, I think the better. <laughs> I don't know; it's coming mm-hmm. sounds strange to a musician, but not everybody's into music as much as we are, and it just breaks it up and it gives another f- way to communicate. And we're talking to God. That's the cool thing. Uh, is is we're talking to God together. It doesn't. It's not the same as when you you talk to God alone. Yeah, that's great. I think there's so much wisdom in what you're saying, Rory, about in some settings not using the word liturgical. But let's just read it together. That that kind of is what liturgy is, but that's so much more disarming. Sure. Let's just yeah. read it together. Yeah. I love that idea. You know, because um, I could see some people's depending on you know, where they've been, like, even if they've been raised Lutheran or Catholic, even if that's what you're familiar with, it can be kind of off-putting. Or if you're not familiar with it, it can be off-putting either way. So that, let's just read it together. That's, that's really why. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's, it's from the Bible. Let's read it together. Yeah. It's from the Bible. <laughs> so from the Bible. Let's read it together. Yes. We're safe here. We're reading from the Bible. Yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's so good. What about you, Aaron? Tell us a little bit more about this, the, the examen, because I know that that's a really important practice yeah. for you. Well, I mean, Ruth, even we have an example of that on the first morning of our retreats. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a gratitude. We sing new every mm-hmm. morning is your love, mm-hmm. a Rory song. Yeah. We're actually doing an alt country version. I hate country mm-hmm. music, but we're, we're it's mm-hmm. like really fun and exciting. And so uh, it's it's been a blast. Mm-hmm. And I love the song. I mean, so many of Rory's songs are such a gift. So we sing Rory's song in this really fun way. Mm -hmm. And then I just pause and say, can we all take a minute to look back over the last 24 hours and find as many reasons you are thankful to God? And so I'll just keep playing quietly. And so everybody gets to say, you know, and a lot of times it's travel because they were coming in, you know, so you have to find the blessings Mm -hmm. in even a travel day. Yeah. And so then we kind of fill up this, mm-hmm. this, this moment. Uh, last time I mentioned, my spiritual director loves to say, this is not about counting your blessings. This is about savoring your mm-hmm. blessings, which I just love. Yeah. And so we, we spend about a minute just savoring those blessings. And then we go back into Rory's song, new mm-hmm. every morning is your love. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's different. Mm-hmm. Once we have our own fingerprints Uh, and stories and gratitude then when we sing rory's words it's our there are words now yeah new every morning is your love and so Mm -hmm. yeah that's an example yeah yeah what i love about that is that gratitude is actually an energy you know it's a spiritual energy Mm. so when you create space for people to be grateful you're actually creating space for energy to either bubble up or flow through i don't even know what the right word is but but gratitude is an energy in the spiritual life and so so creating the space for that is transformative in the sense that it puts that that energy of all that god has done into our bodies and into our hearts. And, and you kind of so, sail out into your day, you know, yeah. having yeah. reflected on how God's been good to you. I love that. Yeah. And it's 
it's what's most true. Exactly. And it transcends it's, even the hard yeah. things. You know, yeah, your right. gratitude can tr can help you actually get a perspective on the hard things of your life when you yeah, see that I also right. have things to be grateful for. New every morning is your love, oh Lord. Fresh your compassion daily dawns. New every morning is your mercy and grace. You are well, I yeah. want to mention one, and then I'm going to ask something very specific of you. We're going to talk about Eucharist in another um, episode. So that's such a big one that we're actually giving it its own episode. But I want to mention silence because I'm the queen of solitude and silence. I want to mention that for me, for a service to be transformative, there has to be some silent space in it. And that's been a characteristic of the Transforming Center worship from the very beginning. And we put the silence in a couple of different places, depending on the service. But the one place you will find silence most consistently in our services is after the scripture reading. Because one of the things that I've experienced in church is that the scripture gets read and then somebody immediately gets up and preaches a sermon and it's, it's, and it can be an excellent sermon and it can really be used of God in my life, but it may or may not be the thing that God most wanted to say to me. And so when we have silence after the scripture reading, there's space for there to be this personal encounter with God in scripture. I find that silence and space to be so powerful because God's word is powerful, but to create space after the reading of God's word for God to speak personally through the Holy Spirit to each individual in a way that's consistent with what's going on in their lives is that that space for God to me is what makes a service transformational. If there's space for me and God, then then there's space for God to do something in me that I couldn't plan for myself. And also the person up front doesn't know exactly what I need. It creates space for God to do what God knows I need. So I think the power of silence. And, you know, it's so interesting because in the Anglican tradition, there's always silence built into the service, but most of them don't actually do it. So, um, so in the church where I attend, sometimes they'll the silence will be written in, and I'll be really looking forward to that silence. And so I will have just gotten my body into the right position, my feet flat on the floor, my back up straight, my hands open, and then it's over. Like I am just getting into the prayer posture, and it's over. I'm not even sure they gave us 15 seconds. So it's interesting to me that a lot of groups will will maybe even give a nod to silence, but they don't actually let it breathe. They don't actually give you time for God to say something to you. And especially in our culture right now where we're so overstimulated and we have so little time for real silence, for a church service to build that in, it might be the only two minutes somebody gets in silence all week. So I just want to put my plug in for silence in a transforming worship service. Yeah, okay. Completely. So I know there's so much more we could say. I think I could talk to the two of you for weeks about practices that that uh, <laughs> contribute to a transforming worship service. But I wanted to talk for a moment about, um, you know, th there are these very traditional elements, uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and creeds. And one of the things that Aaron has brought to our worship recently is his perspective on the creeds. And I wanted to talk about the creeds and whether or not they have a place in a transforming worship service. What about the tenets of our faith? how do we lean into those? And, oh, Aaron, you and I had the funniest experience <laughs> with this. But I wanted to close by giving you a chance to talk about that moment with the creeds, your own mixed feelings and ambiguities about the creeds, and then how you've worked with that um, as you have led us and others, I'm sure, in engaging the creeds. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have very mixed feelings about using the creeds mm -hmm. in the services. And um, it, it, what you were re referencing, we were talking about that in our planning meeting, and I was sharing how ambivalent I feel. And you go, great, why don't you introduce the creeds at our next <laughs> retreat? And so basically what I did was just shared three reasons why I don't think we should use the creeds in our services and three reasons why I think we desperately need the creeds in our services. And the like 30 second version, mm -hmm. the, the discomfort is it seems to anchor our experience in agreeing, mm -hmm. like the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm -hmm. Everybody say the same words and align our brains to the same idea. And I really struggle with that. I don't think we need more of that Pledge Allegiance. I think we need more practicing together. And so mm -hmm. there's that part, uh, you know, the creeds name Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, but they completely skip over Jesus' life and teaching. Mm -hmm. That's the important part, not the facts about Jesus, but what Jesus is inviting us into. So, you know, I, I, I really struggle, especially the, creeds, the creed comes after the sermon. So it's like, whatever happened in the sermon, just make sure we agree. Yeah, I, I don't think we need that mm -hmm. these days. However... The creeds also remind us we're a part of a much bigger story. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't make this thing up. We were given this thing and we get to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. The creeds are explicitly Trinitarian, um, helping, our, helping us find our place in the community of God. So important. And then I was talking to uh, the theologian Diana Butler Bass, and I was just sharing, like, I'm really struggling with this. Uh, she's Episcopalian. And, and she said, oh, Aaron. In this context, the words I believe are much closer to I belove mm -hmm. or I belong. And so this whole idea of where we find the anchorage of our life, where we find yeah. solid ground. And so at the Transforming Center, we've started, mm -hmm. we, do, we, we speak the creed, uh, we do the Apostles' Creed at, at uh, Transforming Center. We do it one time, and then we invite everybody to decide what's the word they're going to use to translate I believe. So are you going to say, I belove the Father, or I belong in Jesus Christ, or we try to widen it yeah. and deepen it in that way? And you so. actually used a phrase, take refuge in, which I thought yeah. was a lovely yeah. choice as yeah, well. That's from Rowan Williams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. One of the things that you've mentioned, and I would love to include it here, is also the fact that the reason why you're uncomfortable with the creeds is that the creeds were written in response historically to some issue that the Debates church... were not even talking about. Yeah. yeah. So say more yeah. about that, because I thought that was really important. Well, yeah. I mean, the the... At the time, the big debate was, does the Spirit proceed from the Father and Jesus, or just from the Father? And it was this whole debate that I think at that time, it was like 300, Rory probably knows the mm -hmm. exact date, um, yeah, was really important. And so, so much of the, of especially the Nicene Creed's language is like trying to answer that exact question. And it's just not the question that any of us are asking right now. Yeah. And so sometimes what I wonder is, I wish we had a creed that was that was written from the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. That feels like something we need to embody in our world. Um, so, yeah. Well, and I also wonder if the church was to get together like the apostles did or like the early church fathers did to um, hammer out a creed, what kinds of issues would we be trying to address through a creed yeah. today 
I love yeah. that question. It just intrigues me. If some of yeah. us got together and wrote a creed today, what would we be trying to address? What would we be yeah. wanting to include? Um, not that it would take the place of any of the other creeds, but maybe it could get added to history that there was something in yeah. this day and age that we were wrestling with as a church and wanted to respond to through a statement of faith. So I, it's been a real blessing, Erin, I must say, and we just, you weren't with us on the last retreat, but we carried it through. And and I, it's been a real blessing for you to give us the space and the freedom to actually ask the questions that we have about the creeds and then to also put those words in, which I agree with you are much more consistent with the intention anyway. I would, I want Roy to respond to you. And then I think if you've got the creed in front of you, I would love for you to read the creed with the word that you would choose as the way for us to close this episode. But first of all, Rory, go ahead and respond to Aaron. Yeah, I I see where you're coming from. I, I think it's, it makes total sense. Um, I'm having a renewed appreciation for the Nicene Creed um, these days. Mm-hmm. And I'm maybe it's because I'm attending uh, an Anglican church and we do say it every week. And um, in order to become a member of this church, I had to memorize it. And uh, so um, what I love about it, it it's, it's we. You know, we believe in God the Father. And I like the Apostles' Creed, but it's very personal. And the power, because, you know, like when I was memorizing it, and I say we, but I'm sitting by myself. But it's totally different when I'm standing with these people who I've chose to do life with now. <laughs> and we're saying we believe. And there's something very unifying. And I see, because we have little kids often in our services, and they're reading off the screen, too, and they're going, I'm thinking, wow. And like Aaron said, this does feel like it's so much bigger than my privatized uh, you know, Christianity. I'm part of something that extends back over time. And, uh, yeah, I am in touch with those guys who these were fighting words uh, for them because they mm-hmm. were fighting heresy, you know. And we're fighting, you know, some of those heresies a little bit here and there now. But uh, And they feel like fighting words to me again as well. So I'm totally on board with them. I, I like where you're going. I, th- I think it'd be cool to update in some way. But uh, I'm a big fan of the Nicene Creed these days. <laughs> hmm. Thank you. Oh, what a rich conversation this has been. And um, Aaron, maybe you could just close us out by reading the Apostles' Creed with one of those words substituted that, that could help us experience it in a different way. All right. I think the word that I am feeling drawn toward is belong. Mm-hmm. And so this is the Apostles' Creed. I belong in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I belong in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I belong in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.